0: So you remember last week when I told you I had bitten off a little more than I could chew regarding talking about sacred geometries? Yeah, I'm still chewing it. I'm in recovery for a reason, and the perfectionist in me is insistent that I drop an episode at 107 a.m. on Tuesday, like I do every week. However. I am in recovery and I know there's always another option. So I found one. I would like to present to you my first public long lead at an Al-Anon AA and Alateen meeting convention thing. Yeah, I was really nervous and I talk really fast at first and in fact, At the very beginning, I take off my shoes so that I'm barefoot and can kind of connect with my surroundings in an attempt to chillax. Like I said, I talk quickly. I was nervous, but it's me. So hi, I'm McCall. I'm an extremely enthusiastic and grateful Al-Anon member, who's going to go barefoot for this. Um, you know it gets better with recovery? Everything. No, I'm serious. I just drove two hours and 17 minutes up here, and I, I'm i a good Al-Anon. You know, I had it all planned out. I was going to use the two hours, and it was going to be beautiful. This is Santa Barbara. I'm driving up the coast, right? It's going to be gorgeous. Sunlight and dolphins are probably going to come because it's his will, right? Yeah, it was very foggy and gray on my ride out here. But it was beautiful. So everything changes. When you apply these principles in all your affairs, when I apply these principles, everything changes. LA suddenly has okay drivers.
1: Like, their
0: unacceptable behavior isn't so unacceptable anymore, and I've changed. Um, so I have a quality of perfectionism that um, we've talked about a little bit tonight, and I'm working very hard on my connection with my higher power, whom, just for today, I choose to call Waldo. (laughs) I will explain. But um, in consideration for a reading from 326 from Courage to Change about procrastination paralysis, basically, I decided not to prepare for this. And it's not like a lazy decision like I have in the past or an avoidance. It was a real like stepping out on a limb with my higher power, because I don't feel like anything I have to share with any one of you means that much. That's my al anon But my higher power says, no, step aside. I'll talk. Let me. So that's what I chose to do today. But of course, as I was writing up here, I did write down a couple of (laughs) plots. And so what I limited my boundary for myself was, I gave myself a framework. So I'm going to attempt to tell you the story of my life in three acts. The first act, open, black and white. This act is called roller coaster. I was born to an alcoholic mother who left my biological father when I was two, and we grew up together for all intents and purposes. And she is a magical woman. I mean, a great mom and an incredible woman. Poet and beautiful and quirky and just barefoot (laughs) Uh, and full of life. But as we grew together, we both developed a disease. And I developed the isms right along with her, even though I didn't get the craving. And the first time that she was hospitalized for the disease, I was seven. And she was a single mom, and I was an only child. And when you're seven, and you live with your mom, and she goes to the hospital, what do you do? Well, I kind of went to the hospital with her, and I ended up in allergy rooms. And from 7 to 14, I sort of worked a program. But I never accepted that I was power, powerless. I acquiesced just so I could get through this program. And I found little gems. Uh, I grew to love the attention and found that I could get that attention for the drama in my life and sharing my crises and the only problem is that attracts kind of the wrong kind of attention. And it took me many years to realize that that, that was one of the crutches I was using. But where I grew up, uh, I grew up in a very racially, not segregated area. It was Cleveland, Ohio, east side of Cleveland. And um, I happened to live in an all-black neighborhood. I was one of two white families. So I always felt like I didn't quite fit in. And then just to solidify that feeling, I ended up going to Hebrew school (laughs) with all these Hasidic Jewish kids. Now, I did learn a little bit of Hebrew and got to explore different higher powers through that. But it really solidified this idea that I am terminally unique. There's no one else like me. No one else shares my Specific burdens, and fast forward to fourteen. A little bit of acting out turned to a little bit of self harm, turned to a little hospital stay. At which, a very wise psychiatrist said, "I think I need to get this girl out of this house. This is pretty toxic," and recommended I go to boarding school. Well, distance is a good friend of detachment, <laughs> and. I suddenly didn't find myself having to work the program because I didn't have to deal with my mom much. Although, her drinking still affected me. You know, there were a lot of leads in plays that got missed, Um, a lot of love affairs that took center stage. And I, in turn, learned how to turn up the volume. Act 2. 14-year-old McCall. I got a tattoo. Smoked pot. Cigarettes. Sex. Really searching to fill that God-shaped hole and doing it with the volume as loud as it could be. Because growing up with an alcoholic, there was especially such a magical woman who gave me so much incredible one-on-one intention. When the alcohol took over, there was a fog. And so I had to I felt like I had to scream through it to be heard and to be seen. The problem is when you scream that loud all the time, it pushes healthy people away. And boarding school doesn't attract such healthy young students sometimes. So I, oh, part two is gray, and this is racetrack. Instead of being on that roller coaster with my mom, I got on my own racetrack and I owned it and I drove fast. I showed lots of compulsive behavior. I acted out. I challenged God in so many ways. I dared him to take over or to stop me or to arrest me or to give me disease or kill me or get me pregnant or. It never happened. So I kept having these weird spiritual awakenings (laughs) where suddenly I would try to fit my square peg into other people's round holes. And I did this in a lot of different ways. I did this a lot with guys in relationships. Oh, you like Metallica? They're my favorite band, too. Oh, really? Tori Amos. Yes, me too. I love Tori Amos. You're gay, me too. Seriously, anything. I was a chameleon and I did it well because I lived my life so black and white and I sucked the marrow out of the bones of life. I really lived it. And I put myself in risky situations and lived to tell the story. But these little spiritual awakenings I kept having drew me to other people's religions because I was on a search, right? I'd already done the 12 steps when I was a kid. I didn't get that. So maybe it's Buddhism. Maybe it's Rastafarianism. Maybe it's that Judaism I should go back. Maybe that's really my heritage. And, like, I would give 150% of myself into it. And it would kind of The you know, rosy-colored glasses would come off. And I'd look at the people that were into it that I looked up to at first. And the more I got to know them, the less perfect they were. I like, oh, okay, so this isn't the solution. Back to the compulsive shit. Fast forward to Act 3. This one's in color. And this is called my roadmap. Uh, almost two years ago, a year and a half ago, I got another call. My mom fell and shattered her upper left arm. And she had to have an external fixator put in it. And she lives in Cleveland, Ohio. Now, mind you, during that um, racetrack phase, the gray phase, I drove as far from Ohio as I could until I hit water and I stopped and I stayed. That was when I was 25. And during those first years in L.A., I did come to l and But I came in my very black and white stage when there was a crisis, usually. And I did one of two things. I either gave and gave I was one of those Alan, and on and on and on and on, crying and weeping and telling these horror stories of my life so you'd all feel bad for me and give me hugs that my mommy wouldn't. Or I took it, took it, took it, took it, I said nothing. I sat in the back row and I listened for things that I related to and there was my moment with God. That was like my glasses adjustment, you know, my new prescription. I'd cleared up and get back in my way and acknowledge all the shit I'd been doing that really wasn't serving myself and how to put it away and go on my merry way and find another boyfriend and another religion and whatever. And I really did no program. I mean I could work to the steps even, but I didn't work program. Um I used it as a shield almost, so that step one was negligent. <laughs> It's not unmanageable. I am not powerless. So why do we higher power? When my mom shattered her arm and I decided to go back, I was like, I got this. I've been through enough al and I can go. I can go and do this with boundaries. So I spent a month there, nursed her back to the house. She didn't drink the whole time. We binge-watched Black Mirror and The Crown and bonded. It was like our old days. And then I was like, okay, she's doing great. I'm doing great. I'm going to go on a plane, and I'm going to go home and see my daughter and her little roller derby thing for 48 hours. And I'm going to rush back here. And while I'm gone, I'm going to set up all these caretakers for her. The woman's not going to have a chance to drink, and she's not going to want to because she knows I wouldn't come back. But she did. And she's having a great time, too, and she's telling me. and I mean, really, it's like the work that I do, taking care of my kids, fixing food, cutting it up, pulling up their pants, wiping their butt. I was doing all of these things for my mom, but she was saying thank you and paying for it. So it was actually a pretty good ride. And I wanted to come back. But when I got back from the red eye, guess what? None of you were surprised she couldn't stand up. I had never, ever seen someone so sloppy drunk except in like YouTube videos. And it was horrifying. And I took a deep breath. And instead of falling apart and doing, making her crisis my circus, I went back outside and I got back in my lift and I went right back to John Hopkins, Cleveland Airport, and I got on a plane. I wasn't on the ground for six hours. But before the plane took off, I, thanks to the internet, had found an al I meeting that I had been to several times and cried and sat in the back a couple times, but during that phase, by the way, I never went back to the same meeting more than a couple of times because I was scared you guys would recognize me. I have tattoos and stuff and I'm a big personality. So But there was one I had been to a few times. I was like, there's no way the same people are there now. A couple of bar. Um so before the plane took off, I picked that meeting and I made a commitment. I'm going there next Tuesday night, seven seven thirty, eight o'clock I'm there. And I had learned in Alatine to pause outside of the rooms and say yes inside of the rooms. So I also committed to myself, if just by chance some higher power wanted me to come back for six more meetings, there would be a service commitment for me, right? Well, there wasn't the first, but there was the second, and I took the literature and I came back every six weeks after. That was a year and a half ago. Um, I am now this year's secretary and i'm doing stuff to give back to my program i am working this act of my recovery like it's a college class that i paid for like i don't skimp now i take notes i have everything digitally so i can search if i'm thinking a certain word anxiety I search all the conference approved literature and i read them and i take notes and i meditate and i pray but perhaps the most Amazing transformation to rocket me into the fourth dimension, as Bill W. would say, was defining the God of my understanding. And that God looks a lot like a Mr. Potato Head <laughs> because I've, I've researched a lot of religions. I have put my, I've, I lived in an ashram for two weeks and like drank chai tea when I was a kid. Like I have searched and I've listened and I've learned. They never quite fit into all those shapes. And suddenly, I listened, and it's the God of my understanding, not the God I relate to most of your understanding. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pray. And I asked my sponsor for a prayer. She gave me two, morning prayer and a night prayer. And basically asked, I ask each morning for God to direct my thinking, to divorce of self-will, and... And when I was saying it, it always felt fake. It never felt authentic. And it never really felt vulnerable. It just felt like I was being that chameleon from act too. So one day I was like, I can't do this. I don't know what to call you. Like, how do I have a loving, intimate relationship with something if I don't have a name to call you? Dude, what's your name? Like, is it Jesus? Is it Buddha? Is it John? Is it Bob? Hey. Bob. Okay, Pop. Bob. Bob the Fop. Oh, no, my stepdad's name is Bob. It can't be Pop. Damn it. What is your name? Where's, F- where's Walter? Bald- okay. Are you serious? You want me to call you Waldo? Like, in Waldo we trust? <laughs> Just for today. And that was like a year and a half ago and today i'm still calling him waldo and he has come to life for me and he has changed how i experience the world because no matter how chaotic the picture that is put in front of me i have this faith dare i say that waldo's on that page if i look hard enough and long enough And calm enough. I can't do it if I'm in a panic. I'm never going to find him. And sometimes I can't find him alone. Sometimes I have to call you guys and say, Help me reason this out. It feels scary, and I don't want to live a life of fear. So, Waldo's always there for me if I look. Fast forward to April. I decided, well, first, let me tell you, I decided to do 90 and 90, and as a full-time working mother of two, that's really hard, but I discovered online Al-Anon, and I got really involved, and by the end of my 90 and 90, I was serving as hospitality and tech and online meetings, and then I started to chair, and chairing really worked with how I worked this program. Especially because it was online, I wasn't face-to-face with people, I wasn't seeking anyone's approval. I was just in my comfort space, and it was like meditation and prayer. And I would look at the conference-approved literature that was being read, where I would be reading it, and certain phrases would magically, like, highlight, almost. And so I would take those phrases and kind of make, like, a meme. Like, find an image that made me think of that, put that phrase on the image, and then save that to my desktop folder and rotate my desktop through those images every 20 minutes. So when I'm working and I see a new desktop, I try to apply it, right? So this is going well and dandy for me until March. March comes along and two things happen. Number one, perch did the change December 13th. Flying down a hill on a bicycle, I always feel tremendously alive and perfect balance. Al-Anon helps me balance my life as if it were a ride on a bike and to carry that vitality into each day, especially when I apply the slogan live and let live. I try to embrace whatever life brings with all its joys and sorrows, for it all has something to offer me. I made that discovery one night in Al-Anon meeting when someone asked, what would happen if I started thanking God when problems occurred? That's the line that lit up for me, okay? You see where this is going. At first, I had to force myself to say, Thank you, God, through clenched teeth. By and by, my teeth unlocked, and I replaced self-pity with gratitude, I truly began to live. There's more. Look it up. December 13th. But that line was like a dare from Waldo to me personally. And, you know, when higher power dares us, he gives you an opportunity to actually apply. <laughs> so I go to pick up my $7.50 Starbucks latte, which I was splurging on. And as I got home, I'm running late for a business meeting that's going to be on, like, Zoom, so they're going to see me, so I have to look good at these from the waist up. As I'm getting out of the car, excited about my latte, it drops. Spills Spills everywhere. There's like this much left. And I went, God, thank you, God. And I went, you know what? Actually, thank you. It didn't get on me, and they're not going to see my bottoms anyway. And you know what? It didn't get in my car. And it's a pretty new car. And actually, there's enough left that I can try it. And there's enough money in my wallet that I can get another one after this meeting. And everything just pivoted. And I was like, okay. I can do this. And then the next thing happened. That Thursday, I went to a speaker meeting, and a man read the paratrooper's prayer. So I am feeling high and mighty and awfully cocky with my thank you God. I don't even have to clench my teeth anymore. It's only been four days. I got this. Well, this man reads the paratrooper prayer. And now I'm thinking God's challenging me everywhere, right? Because that's how my Waldo works. This is the paratrooper prayer. I'm asking you, God, to give me what you have left. Give me those things which others never ask of you. I don't ask you for rest or tranquility, not that of the spirit or body or mind. I don't ask you for wealth or success or even health. All of those things are asked far too much of you, Lord, that you can't have any left to give. Give me instead, Lord, what you have left. Give me what others don't want. I want uncertainty and doubt. I want torment and challenge. And I ask you that you give me them now and forever, Lord, so that I can be sure to always have them, because I won't always have the strength to ask again. But give me also the courage, the energy, and the spirit to face them, I ask you these things, Lord, because I can't ask them for myself. And I prayed it for three days. On the third day, I was chairing an online meeting, and I got a bunch of text messages. I was like, everything else can wait. I'm doing a meeting. I'm of service. And after that meeting, I looked, and my mom's in ICU on life support Uh, she had gotten drunk right and fallen and hit her head on marble, and she had have a piece of her brain removed. And I'm going, okay, where's the thank-you-godness? Now, there was a moment where I did talk to the doctor, and he explained that because of her many, many years of alcoholism, that her brain is atrophied, and they were able to fit her bone back into her skull pretty well, because her brain is so shrunken, but it had shifted six millimeters during the fall. Uh, I don't didn't know what that means. Anything Google told me it meant was really, really scary. <laughs> but, I was working a program, and I was living a life of service and balance, and I needed to go back to my sponsor. My daughter came with me. she just turned 13, and we were going back to say goodbye to her. We call her Mom, And um, they took the tubes out, and my mom lived. Four weeks later, My mom walked into Target with me because she wanted a different pair of pants. I got the wrong ones. And was in a nursing home for like a week and a half after being in a trauma one brain injury unit. She was doing too well. They couldn't keep her there. So that was the beginning of April, all of April. May I flew home to L.A. And um, I was having a really hard time breaking that (laughs) but one of my what i call my jedi council uh, one of the old timers in this program that is on my go-to board so to speak gave me a, a different kind of prayer in the form of a poem it's by richard bach from running with from safety and it goes lean into your fears dare them to do their worst and cut them down when they try. If you don't, they'll clone themselves. They'll mushroom till they surround you, choke the road to the life you want. Every turn you fear is empty air, dressed to look like jagged hell. When the time comes to fight, I will be with you, and the weapon you need will be in your hand. And when I read that, I hear Waldo read that. Like, I hear his, her, it voice deep inside of my soul. I know that to be truth. And I know that I don't have to do it alone. I have you guys on one side of me, and this is a worldwide fellowship. And you go on to one of these online meetings and the accents, and what time of day it is for them blows your mind. I mean, you feel so connected to the geography of the world. And I have the privilege, I have the opportunity to look at myself and become a better person because of a disease that I have. Okay, I'll take those odds because I can keep coming back. I can be in these rooms when I'm 102 years old and I plan on it, frankly. So, my mom has had her 72nd detox a couple weeks ago. Um, Yeah, she's got a lot of effin' chips, man. (laughs) I want a damn chip. Um, But she's back on the wagon, and because of this program, I can love and accept her wherever she's at. Whether tomorrow morning she's gone to a meeting tonight or had two bottles of wine. She's still my mom, and she's still a magical, magical unicorn of a woman. And because of this program, I get to take advantage of that still. I don't have to detach by distance. I can call her and talk to her every day, no matter how much she slurs. And tell you, with a head injury, the woman does slurs now. So I also can't even tell you if she's drunk or not. Mulder took that quandary from me. And Lord knows the woman's on a ton of medications now, too. I can't police it anymore. That's out of my hands. You know what? I'm more content than I've ever been. I am more joyous and free, and I respect the cunning, powerful, and baffling disease that is alcoholism. But I also have a great deal of compassion for it. And I have the opportunity to put on my Waldo glasses and look at my mom with that compassion that my higher power, whom I choose to call Waldo, looks at me with. And I get to give it back to other people. I get to meet people in a grocery store and be present and talk to them and make eye contact and treat them like they're a newcomer to this program and love them in a very special way, because now I can love me. And that is the miracle of this program for me. Thank you for letting me share it with you.